It's Locked On Horn Frogs. Next to me is Josh Neighbors from Locked On Big 12. I hope you're listening to his podcast. If you're not, you should. And we're going to talk TCU football. The Frogs are 7-0. and They surprised both of us. I think they maybe surprised Josh a little bit more. We'll discuss that next on Locked On Horn Frogs. You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. So next to me in the box here is Josh Neighbors from Locked On Big Twelve. He is also uh, he also does a daily podcast. He does a YouTube. He has a YouTube channel, and you should subscribe to it wherever you get your podcast on YouTube because he talks TCU. He talks the Big Twelve. Talks more big picture stuff and also like covers the whole conference. So if on a Monday you're like, man, I also want to hear about that, uh, you know, Texas Oklahoma State game. Well, go to Josh's channel, check that out. He'll be breaking it down. If you're like, man, I really want to know about media rights deals, Josh is great at that as well. He does a lot of that coverage. A lot of that, yeah. A lot of that because that does really well on uh, on YouTube. It does. So it does. The folks love it. He plays into it. But today we're going to talk TCU football and. Josh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like this was the journey for you in the offseason with the Sunny Dykes hire. Yes. I think at first you were like, okay, this is fine. It makes sense to me. It might work. And then as we got closer to the season, it seemed like you were more on the on the side of like, I don't really know if I can talk myself into this. This doesn't seem to, to fit like I initially thought. Defense had a ton of questions. So I guess what has been the thing that surprised you the most about how well they've started and just how well they're playing under Coach Dykes in year one? Uh, well, you and I had talked about this last year. Like they they lacked identity big time last year, right? And it's this is uh, to compare to another Big Twelve team. Like this is what we're asking right now about West Virginia, right? What does West Virginia do well? Well, it's hard to point that out. What did TCU do well last year? And you and I had a tough time pointing that out. And then they go with the Sonny Dykes. It was kind of a natural transition. And I, and look, I, I thought that was the right hire. I think it made a lot of sense. I was not sold in the 2022 version of TCU. I think it's because a lot of the, it was a lot of the players from last year, but like, that's part of it too. They retained a lot of their players from last year. And that ended up being more of a bonus or it's a much more of a positive than, than a negative, right? These guys had a lot of chemistry. And you're seeing that on the offensive side. I mean, Max Duggan's made the backup, but like the backup comes in and turns out the backup has got a ton of chemistry with all of those guys, right? I mean, he's, he's been throwing past those guys for a while. And um, it took, it took a different group of guys to come in there and get the job done. But like Sonny Dykes and Garrett Riley did a really good job, especially that offense. Right. And then look at the defensive side of things. I mean, this is a unit that they've done a great job of simplifying everything. Right. And they've become this really weird group that can like, I mean, there's, this is the, this is the part where you, you credit GP. They're so talented that they can mess around for an entire half and sometimes even longer, Steven, this, I mean, I, I don't think we, I don't think we talked enough. I didn't for sure about the amount of talent that this team actually had. Yeah. It's strange. I mean, they were like, they were consistently recruiting behind Texas and OU. I mean, it kind of depends on what you were looking at. If you want to look at just like the player ratings, it wasn't necessarily like the size of the class, the overall um, points, but like 
the type of players they were getting were typically high three stars, you know, and your occasional four star player. Right. So there was talent there. Um, and you're right. The defense, I don't, I don't always know what they're doing in the first half of games, but they figure it out as they, they do. As, it's really weird to watch. Goes on. And, and I'll tell you, it's hard to, to pause it real quick, but like they, they like impose their will on teams the second half. Yeah. Like they'll let you, you can move the ball all over them and score on them the first half, but they're hitting, I mean, they're hitting hard. Some of those, like they were, they were putting Deuce Vaughn on the ground pretty hard there in that second half. Mm-hmm. And they made, a, they made a point and it's, I, I don't know how they, they seem to do it. And so speaking of the, the hard hitting, and I know you talked yeah. about this earlier in the week, like this was a, a topic that started to gain some steam yes. on Saturday as people saw again, like, okay, Kansas State had a lot of injuries, specifically the quarterback position. They were down to their QB3 at one point for a couple important drives. Um, they faced a number of backup quarterbacks this year, and it's just sort of a strange, fluky thing. Now, I went kind of game by game yesterday, and I was like, well, Dylan Gabriel went out when that game was sort of in hand. You know, Jalen Daniels, I know he's a great player, and it's impossible to say what he would have done in the yeah. second half. But they scored three points in the first half. At the same time, though, I, I do feel like there's a contingent that's kind of like, all right, is CCU good or is this just they face teams at the right time? Obviously, they benefited from it, Josh, but I, I really do feel like this is legitimately a, a good football team right now. Yeah, you just want them to stop messing around in the first part. Like, this – use Oklahoma game, right? I mean, it was – that was never a football game. Like, that yeah. game was over before the game actually started. And that's the kind of ability TCU has. The Kansas game, like – you know, I, I thought the I thought the TCU got away with a hold towards the end of that game. But think about think about how well they were doing that first half defensively. Mm-hmm. You know, Jason Bean comes in. He's throwing guys. He's throwing. I mean, he's throwing rockets all over the field. Like he's throwing these. And the, the interception was horrible. But I mean, he's throwing these pinpoint passes. And like that was kind of what the doctor ordered against that TCU defense that day, right? That was. I mean, they they you know they they kept scoring over and over and over it again. So it wasn't like they got really poor play out of Jason Bean. And then you go ahead and Spencer Sanders was injured, but also he won a game last week when he was injured. So it's not like it's a, I mean, the guy's, yeah. I think he's an amazing player. Um, and so like, you know, okay, there's, there's that. And then this week it happens, but what does TCU do? Like they just turn, they eventually turned on the Jets. That's the thing is this group is so talented. I knew that game was over this week. And I, I, this is not me, you know, this is not me lying. I was texting with some people. I'm just, I said, game's over. Score, halftime, score again. Backup quarterback comes in the field on the road after a 14-point swing, and we've seen TCU do this before. You knew how it was going to go. Now, I actually thought they could have scored more at the end of that game to run it up and didn't think they execute well enough. But that's that's the big thing for TCU is, like, we did not we did not sell how talented this group is. And that's, that's on defense, too. We didn't sell that enough, I don't think, coming into the year. And they're showing that. That's why, Stephen, I think they can turn on the Jets like that. Like, Good teams can do that, but TC will bury you. They will absolutely yeah. bury teams sometimes with the way that they can play. So looking at the Big 12 title picture now, I mean, it's still kind of muddled. We have a little more clarity after right. the last couple of weeks. The great thing about the league is everybody plays everybody. So this week we yeah. get Kansas State, Oklahoma State, and, um, you know, that'll help in, in determining what happens. But right. what what's kind of your, your view on – like the, the teams you think are definitely in the mix, have the inside track, and then maybe one dark horse team, if you still feel like there is one who could who could make a run here. Well, the I think 
you know, we talk about like how good the teams are as kind of a con like that's kind of how we construct this normally, but also right. in the Big 12, you got to think about it like it's tiebreakers because everybody does play everybody. So a lot of like a lot of the leads that TCU like after this week is over, TCU is going to have a one game lead on somebody with a tiebreaker, a two game lead on somebody else, one of the, uh, Oklahoma State or Kansas State. Like one of those teams will be a game back of TCU, but TCU is the tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. One of those teams will two will be two games back at TCU. TCU's got the tiebreaker. That thing about this league you have to understand. So I think while Texas, I mean, Texas should, should be in this thing. With two losses though, and one of them being to Oklahoma being to Oklahoma State, that gets a lot more difficult now. They do have a Kansas State game left. They do have TCU left. So they could make up some ground. So not totally out of this thing yet. But for Kansas State and for T- and for Oklahoma State, one of those teams is going to have two losses with losses. To Kansas State or to TCU and to, to the other, right? So they'll be staring up basically at a deficit where they got to pass somebody and they can't just tie them. They got to pass them too. So that's part of this, this, this game, this dance you have to understand is tiebreakers factor into it. And it's really funny, Stephen, because we're getting all of the big 12 games that really matter, like in succession, mm-hmm. right? We had KU, T, uh, TCU kind of knocked out KU. We've had Texas, Oklahoma State last week. We had Oklahoma State, TCU the week before. We have Kansas State, Oklahoma State this you know this this coming up this week. And so like all of kind of that 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 puzzle pieces about where everybody is with tiebreakers will somewhat be done by this weekend, at least for those top three against each other, right? Those top three teams of Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and TCU. That puzzle is going to be kind of solved. It's then just a matter of how do you finish out against everybody else. And that becomes the big challenge at that point is, can you stay on track against the teams that are good, but behind you? Yeah. And quickly on Texas, Josh, what's your read on how people are sort of digesting the season for Sark? Because they did have up until last week, they had the kind of narrative of like, well, if Quinn was healthy all season, there's a possibility they're undefeated. So, I mean, I guess things are still in front of them, but is it now shifting towards like, disappointing or is there still a chance for them to kind of make this up? So it's funny. Somebody asked me the other day, would you rather be Oklahoma right now or Texas? Hmm. And it's a really interesting question because I think the default, a lot of people think is Oklahoma with how good they've been. But do you look at what's happened to Sark, Steven? When was the last time Texas has been blown out? Have they been like, I, I don't think that they've ever been blown out under Steve Sarkeesian. No, and, I can't think of a game. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, there there are games that were two scores in the end of the game eventually, right? But they've never been blown out, it feels like, under Sark. And so, you know, there are some embarrassing results for the Kansas result, but, like, that was triple overtime. Like, it was triple overtime. It's still a triple overtime game. The Oklahoma game, they were up 21-23. They've blown all of these leads. And so it's a different kind of – it's a different kind of failure for them because – and this is like, there's a difference to me between the Sam Ellinger teams and like this group, right? This, I mean, you saw the Bijan Robinson touchdown on the head of the day. He had a guy try to tackle behind him, then cut up field and was gone. So he's like tripping, cutting, and then exploding. Like that's, he's, he's, he's different. Having Roshan Johnson behind him, that's different. Having Xavier Worthy out there and Jatavian Sanders out there, like there's talent and the trigger man, Quinn Ewers, and then there's, oh my God, talent. And the good thing for them is they're so good on script. We saw it against Alabama. We saw it in the first half against West Virginia. We saw it against Oklahoma at times. Oklahoma State, it was it was bad. The pick in the beginning was really bad, but then they, they got right back on track. 
And it's just when the things like when things have to keep going. I mean, it's just for me, it's you have to give this thing time because they're so close to winning so many of these games and the recruiting yeah. continues to be so good. But people forget, Stephen, that that was Quinn Ewer's first road game. And the game before he played against Iowa State, that was his first full full four quarters as quarterback. So there are all these factors that go into this. It's on Sark. Yeah, sure. They've got a ton of talent. They, they don't get blown out. Yeah, sure. You got a younger quarterback. Sure. I mean, like, it's all of this stuff together. And I really never know what to make of it. They've been good on defense at times. And I thought their defense second half last week was horrible. Horrible tackling. Horrible angles. Horrible approach from a lot of those guys. I don't know what to make of it. It just seems like they almost lose focus in the fourth quarter and they almost cost them the game against Iowa state and it cost them the game against Texas or against Oklahoma state. In a moment, I want to ask Josh if TCU or another big 12 team is a legit playoff contender, but if Steve Sarkeesian got fired after the season, he'd open his laptop and he'd go to LinkedIn. That's where he'd go to find his next job. LinkedIn is a great job site. Everybody knows it. You know what LinkedIn is. Everybody's on it. And that's why it's the best place to find your next talented employees when you need to hire somebody. Um, they have simple tools like screening questions so you can figure out, oh, this person is not a great fit or this person is a great fit. You don't have to weed through all the bad applications and all that. LinkedIn takes care of it for you. LinkedIn Jobs, they help you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash college. And you can post your job for free. That's the best part of this. Terms and conditions, of course, always apply. Um, all right. Locked on Horn Frogs here. I'm here with Josh Neighbors, and we're talking TCU. So next week, we'll get our first set of college football playoff rankings. I know some people yes. immediately kind of start to twitch when they hear that, um, but we're going to get to start arguing about what the committee's doing, where teams are. Um, sort of an odd year for the Big 12. TCU is undefeated. They're undefeated in conference play. So, Josh, do you think the Frogs are a legit contender for the CFP? Is there another team in the league that you feel like can uh, make up for that one loss or two loss and, and get in this year? Yeah, I mean, they're, they are a legit CFP contender. I, I will say this, like, they they have to stop messing around at the beginning of games. But yeah. but if we're doing the resume, and I, look, I'm a huge resume guy. Like, I, I really think – that is what we have to go off of, right? We, you kind of are what your resume says you are. And for TCU, I know the wins aren't all like by a million points, but the four straight wins against ranked teams really helps them out. And I kind of want to use a college basketball like terminology term for this. If this was like a college, like just let's just say we had the NCAA tournament for football this year, right? Like how many Big 12 teams are getting into a field of 64? If you're kind of thinking about it like that, the the strength we like the, the strength that they're going against every single week is different than every other league. And I think that needs to be accounted for. Um, sure, these teams will beat each other up. We've talked about that a lot. But there's no Vanderbilt. There is no, and I'm I'm sorry to say this, but my alma mater, they've played some teams tough. They played Georgia oh, tough. Man. There is no Missouri. Like, like Missouri's not a winning football team. They're not very hard to beat. Those Missouri, they barely beat Vanderbilt last week, and Vanderbilt's really bad. You know, there are none of those teams at the, you know, no Florida's, no uh, South Carolina's ranked. And I mean, who the hell have they beaten? Will, uh, Will mm -hmm. Levis, no Kentucky, uh, without Will Levis, Kentucky, Georgia State, South Carolina State, like they've beaten all of them. A&M, which apparently is a good win now, puts you top 25. There's none of that. So it's a big question of 
Will you just get points for being in the SEC? Because I think the number one thing I think a lot of us are looking at, Stephen, is this. Alabama versus TCU. Who is going to be where in yeah. that equation? Alabama's got the loss to Tennessee. Now, they have that, I mean, you know, curb stomping of, of Mississippi State. But, like, you watch Alabama, you know, you watch Alabama play and you look at the resume and you say, sure, maybe they're a better team than TCU uh, if you use the eye test. But if you put the Alabama resume, uh, you know, with TCU's name on it and the TCU resume without just you basically flip the flip the names with, with the resume is what I'm saying here. Where does TCU go and where's Alabama go? If Alabama has TCU's has TCU's resume, they're ahead of TCU, right? Yeah. But I think there's a world in which we flip that thing around, and man, I, I mean, they're AP voters, Stephen. There's an AP voter uh, works for the South End times whatever it is not going to you know give him the respect because it's ridiculous he's got alabama ahead of tennessee in his rankings all right and look some of these people you know might make up the i mean not saying the media is on there but like there are people who've got some whack ideas about who should be ranked where so tcu right now squarely in the hunt i think if they play you know i'm not sure about them playing a top four team not sure how well that would go they've got talent to hang with some of those teams i think they'd lose though but if they played a clemson I mean, I think it's a really good close game. That's what we're talking about right now. They're not all the way up in the top four just yet, but they should be number six right behind Clemson. I think Clemson's actually got a pretty decent resume, in my opinion, too. So I think they should be right behind Clemson, and they're definitely a contender at this point. Yeah, that's sort of where I'm at. It's the, the age-old question of, like, would you rather maybe win a conference title, go to a New Year's Six game, and play really well, or risk playing the number one team in the country – and getting exposed, you know, on a big stage. I want to uh, go. I want to go to the playoff. Man. I want to go too. Like it's just there's so there's such a short list of of teams that get to say they've been to the playoff. And I think especially right. for TCU, much like the Rose Bowl, it would just be one of those things that like they could hold on to forever. Like yeah, we maybe the first team out of the Big Twelve not named Oklahoma to be a to be a college ball playoff team. That's true. And I mean the recruiting uh, upswing would probably be huge in in that regard. Yes. Uh, it would be. All right, so this quarterback, and yeah, we, we kind of made the joke earlier. He's technically the backup to start the season. Max Duggan has has come in and taken over. Um, and like the Heisman discussion to me, I think he's in the mix. I feel like that's kind of a boring topic, though. So I wanted to go a different yeah. direction with you today. Um, I was trying to think, like, there are definitely quarterbacks in college football who have had like a, a rough season and then a bounce back. You know, one guy that came to mind for me was Trayvon Boykin at TCU. Had a really yeah. weird year in 2013. Like, he was splitting time with Casey Paul Hall. Ends up just, you know, taking over in 2014 and 2015 as the unquestioned starter. I can't really think of a comp from, like, just the standpoint of, like, a career where you have Max, who's a three-year starter, now a four-year starter. And I think he's progressively gotten better, but yeah. went from, like, just game manager to passable starting quarterback in college football to what he is now, which is like a legit, you know, player, all conference type of talent. I just, I, I don't, I can't really, nothing comes to mind that, that matches that sort of journey for me, Josh. It's, it's strange. He, well, he's like, so he's the inverse of a lot of quarterbacks, right? So what is the deal with a lot of college quarterbacks? Like they can't throw the ball downfield. Their offenses aren't explosive, and it's a massive. And, and there are guys who are exceptions, but like that's 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 predominantly what you see, right? Yeah. You and I talked last year. We're like, it's seventy-five yard runs, it's sixty-yard bombs to to Quentin Johnston, 
and what else are we doing here? Like there's nothing else in between. And I think a big part of this is the play calling to me. And also here, I'll be honest, Steven, like I've had some really weird, I've had some thoughts about TC's play calling. It's been like bad at certain parts of the games. There are games where it's just, I'm not sure if you know this, they'll just stop running the football. And it's like, what are we, yeah, we're oh, yeah. for six yards a pop? Why aren't we just running the rock with, with, with yeah, Miller? And- I don't know why Garrett Riley is like obsessed with establishing the screen game, but like for three <laughs> straight weeks, it. it was just like the script, you know, the first 25, the scripted plays, it was like, yeah. we have, we have seven, you know, wide receiver screens that were trying to just get the ball to the outside and they weren't, they weren't working. No, you're right. It's, it, it's odd. Kind of, there's been, so it's like Darius Davis has not touched the ball. So it's one first down next first down second and five. It's like, okay, we, we get it. You want to feed him the rock. Like make him feel included. Sure. But the there is such an emphasis like you mentioned the screen game there's a big emphasis on this offense not only in explosive plays because they've hit a bunch of those but garrett riley's recognized how athletic these dudes are like davis is i mean he's a burner man that guy you saw it last week i mean you see he gets anywhere near a sideline you're you're in some serious trouble you better get him out of there because he runs that thing like nobody else in the league i don't think right now so for me like I think it's this it's this really good job of emphasizing like Max this and I think it's a reason why he wasn't the starter. You and I have talked about this. He's he's still not great at the intermediate throws. But a lot of their offense, you saw in the Kansas game, I thought this was a really good game where they did this. A whole lot of like Quentin Johnston basically being Tim Duncan, right? And like posting up, throw me the ball. And he yeah. does has that really good drop step that he does where he basically sees the defense and he just he hits it and goes. He's become really good at hitting those. He's not perfect. He's not perfect, but I think it goes back to the relationship. Like those guys have confidence that he is going to hit them. He's going to hit them mm-hmm. at some point in time. And also, too, I-, I thought he, you know, he's really good at using those legs to pick up big first downs. We saw he can be very explosive in that running game. He's not quite the shifter or mover at Jalen Daniels is, right? But sure. he's actually a pretty like nimble runner. He's he's a very good runner, too. Kind of a Daniel Jones type runner. I hate to do that, the white quarterback, white quarterback thing, but like, <laughs> but like you watch him run, it's like how is this guy this fast, but also it looks really clunky at times. So I think it's just one of those deals. This happens in college basketball all the time. Like guys just get really old and they get really good. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I think we're going to see this, like, a good example for y'all this year. Mike miles is a guy who's like, that guy's been really good. Just he's been in college basketball for a long time. He's still on the team, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I'm yeah, no, he's, he's coming. Yeah, back, yeah. Yes. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it just, that stuff happens. I think he got old and even when he got old, like he didn't win the job, but he just, he's played so much football that like wasn't a big deal when he came in and he knew what to do. Yeah. It's funny. Like we, we have talked a lot about his passing improving, but Garrett Riley had some media availability before the K state game. And they asked him for a comp and he said, Taysom Hill, which like, it's totally fair. It is. And Taysom Hill is a really good college quarterback, but now it's like, he's a tight end in the league and you don't really want to throw in the football. (laughs) Right. Exactly. It's just kind of who Max is. So it's, it's funny that. Yeah. Well, the like like, watching him throw, cause you're still not totally sold on it, but you saw like that dart. He threw to, I think it was Tay Barber in the KU game. Like he just, he, he basically shoved it into Tay Barber's chest on that throw. And you're like, man, like this guy's a good downfield thrower. And as long as he can distribute in the short game and you know, the running is just going to be there. He's pretty good escaping. Like it's gonna, it's, this thing's gonna hum. It's gonna hum. It's just it, for the entire offense too. It's more of a four quarters consistency type deal now. You've been listening to watching this, and you've been saying to yourself, "I want to know where to get more of Josh's take." So I'll let you hear that in a minute. Before we go though, do want to mention um, one of our other great sponsors, Sweat Block. 
So something embarrassing about me, I sweat a lot. That's just who same. I am. Yeah, Josh, he's he's the same. And if you're someone who sweats a lot, you know that anxiety of like being at an event. If you have to dress up and you're sort of thinking the whole time, like, man, I really hope I'm not sweating right now. And then the anxiety makes you sweat more. And so you're always sort of watching. And that's why Sweat Block is, you know, a great product to have because it's going to help you stay dry. It's going to help you have the confidence um, to go about your day, go about your event and not worry about it. Uh, sweat Block gives you the confidence to wear what you want without embarrassing underarm sweat nobody wants that and the sweat blocks wipes well they're featured and tested on the rachel ratio so that's exciting if someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweat or you're in that camp try sweat blocks they have 20 off with the promo code locked on on sweatblock.com they're also available on amazon along with you know everything else in the world so that's cool uh all right josh neighbors thank you so much for doing this sir where can people find your uh work and all of its variety you guys can find me on Twitter at Josh Neighbors underscore. You can find the show at LO Big 12 on Twitter as well. Locked on Big 12 is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts as well. So Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of those places. Please subscribe. We're trying to get to 2,500 subscribers. And we're being really positive about TCU right now. Uh, it's People are claiming they're my favorite team in the league, although I picked against them as as uh, – as early as the game against uh, SMU, I picked against them that game. I've 180'd. I've learned. And you all should come watch my content. Watch my growing process live. We love it. Yeah. Subscribe to Locked On Big 12. Subscribe to Locked On Horn Frogs. Yes. We are Locked On Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team.